This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 102 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Eliana West all about how to write diverse characters. But first, to last week's question, which was, have you got a professional headshot? Carrie Hardisky said, it's been a while. My sister does photography as a hobby, and I usually buy her dinner and or coffee. But it's been hard to coordinate with her because kids and, well, the thing. Hoping this fall we can plan something. If not, I'll look into hiring someone. Ian Worrell said yes, uh, but I should probably get it updated since it was from a few years ago and I don't have grey hair in that shot. Or maybe updating it might not be a good idea. Half joking, half serious. Um, Jennifer Roundell said... Oof, I had professional photos taken. Um, I went with a writing friend who'd been there before. It was kind of a package deal put on by a local salon. Hair and makeup plus a professional photographer came in for the day. I told them I want a natural look, but my makeup was so thick I did not recognise myself and the poses were stiff. I don't use the photos, I didn't even download them. I much prefer my the pictures my 15-year-old took of me. Very relaxed and natural. Somewhat professional looking too. I may try again uh, with a professional photographer when I'm actually making some real money. I'm not sure how I'll pick my photographer though. I already went with a friend's recommendation and that didn't turn out well. Edwin Downward said, my wife took the photo I use in my avatars long ago. We had a number of professional family pictures taken over the course of a few years. In every case, we were 100% responsible for makeup and clothing. Okay, so this week's question is um, more of a uh, request. So can you tell me a book that you've enjoyed with diverse characters? The book recommendation of the week this week is Jay's Gay Agenda by Jason June. I thought I should pick something that was, you know, <laughs> diverse given the uh, topic of conversation. And um, I just started reading this, so I will be honest, I'm probably only about 50 pages in, but I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, and it's about, it's a young adult, it is LGBT, and it's about a boy who has lived in very small town in America for all of his life and never met another gay person and um, then his family move and he goes somewhere where um, there are lots of uh, gay people um, and queer people and LGBT people and all of the other um, acronyms too um, and yeah so it's all about that sort of young love first love first sex that kind of thing so yeah I am super enjoying it so far and uh, can't tell you how it ends because I don't know <laughs> but hopefully the ending pays off and is as good as the rest of the book so in personal uh, news I had a bit of a roller coaster week this week unfortunately uh, we lost our cat, uh, who was only 18 months old at uh, the weekend. Uh, she was killed in a hit and run, and um, she was sort of on the street. And uh, our neighbours found her, thank God, because it enabled us, to, between the four of us, to protect my son and keep him away from the windows and doors while we dealt with the situation. Um, but there were, you know, my wife was an absolute hero, and uh, but we're both kind of traumatized from it and uh, so we took the weekend away 
spontaneously randomly managed to get a um, room in Brighton and so we had the weekend away and that was very much needed we had a lot of fun um, and you know it just helped to take that real sharp sting out of what had happened we are still I guess you know trying to heal and and get over it they are you know pets become family um so that was a bit shit (laughs) more than a bit shit it was awful um but you know we've had my son's first day back at school in a new year and he's sort of gone up to the next uh, like academic key stage they call it in the UK and so now he's in shirts and ties and it's all very exciting and he was he he professed to not be excited and yet was buzzing and clearly had those you know sort of glinty giggly eyes which was very adorable um and then what else has been going on i have been working on the uh finishing audiobook edit so um i had some corrections i did the corrections the first time and i just like this is a lesson to anybody who wants to record their own audiobooks i went into the booth and just recorded the list of errors thinking that if I had read the previous sentence I would be able to create the same tone but apparently I'm not as predictable as I thought and uh, so when I came back and started trying to insert some of the re-records they just didn't match at all Um, and so I'm having to (laughs) It's very frustrating. I'm having to be in the garage where the booth is and have the audio um, up on my computer, listen to the to the sentence before the correct the thing that's wrong, and then go back into the booth and record just that one sentence, come back out, check it, listen to the next one, go in the booth. Like it's long, but it is way more efficient this way uh, because I'm finding that I'm it's like a one take thing or or not one take because I I say the sentence several times so that I don't have to keep going back and out of the booth um but yeah essentially I found that this is a quicker way of doing it so um I think I should be done if I can get some time in the booth over over the weekend that I will probably finish over the weekend otherwise it might be Monday or Tuesday um so yes I am more than somewhat relieved to have finally gotten this done. I have had such a huge learning curve and I know a few of you have reached out and asked if I can do kind of some lessons learned on that. So I think I will absolutely try and do that. Um, yeah, I've got a few other things that I'm thinking about of creating like some extra content. So yeah, I'm thinking about all of that stuff. Um, and then in other news, I have like, I'm trying not to talk about this because nothing is like concrete yet, but I have some things, um, opportunities in the background which I'm trying to push over the finishing line and they're all rather exciting um and I'm absolutely desperate to talk about them um just from like the lessons learned perspective on on this process and what this process has been like um because I think you know even though it's I'm not it's not a thing that I'm producing for you guys um it's definitely a lesson that I can give you guys. Um, so yeah, I, I can't wait to talk about that in a bit more detail and like less vague because I know it's just a dick move when people do that. I hate it. I, I have a love-hate relationship because obviously it makes me want to know the thing. Um, but also, fuck you, Sasha, for the, the lack of specificity. Ah, okay. Um, I don't know if I have anything else to tell 
you. Um, uh, oh yes, I have been working on the Rebel um, stories. I have, I think, 20 stories left to read. Um, so it has taken quite a significant amount more time than I anticipated. Um, there, there were, I don't know, I think it was between like 80 and 100 stories. So it was a lot of stories. I had did have to engage somebody else to help me read. Um, so they finished their section, I'm still lagging. Um, but uh, it's been very, very interesting. And that is also something that I want to do a lessons learnt on because there are a lot of common mistakes um, and a lot of things that I think uh, would help you to improve uh, short story writing and also a lot of lessons from some of the absolutely uh, exceptional stories of which there have been lots. So it is actually going to make the decision really quite bloody difficult. So thanks everybody for submitting your amazing stories. Um, yeah, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed reading them and uh, I'm very excited to take that to the next stage as well. So I'm still aiming to have made the decisions by the end of September. Um, the only caveat to that is um, the timing of the Amazon Kindle Storyteller Award. So I'm a judge on the Amazon Kindle Storyteller um, Award and so I have to read like five books in a couple of weeks. So um, then I'm hoping, <laughs> to, I'm trying to get all of the stories read and the decisions made before then, before those books come in. Um, but yeah, I just felt I should be honest about that. Um, but yeah, fingers crossed I can get it all done in time. Um, is there anything else to update you on? I don't think so. I think that's probably it. Okay, so the Rebel of the Week this week is Laura Rye. Laura says, I've had a really bad stutter since junior high and I've always uh, been a writer. I went to, co to college to major in creative writing and in my freshman year, my professor asked if I was willing to read my creative nonfiction piece for a local radio program. Horrified, I tried to warn him that I couldn't talk, but he gently insisted we give it a try anyway. Suffice to say that even after a few attempts recording it in the studio, it never made it to air. Three years later, as a senior, I was asked to read aloud one of my stories to a group of prospective students interested in creative writing. Only seven of us were asked to do that, so I was thrilled. I then took my short story excerpt, read it aloud, rewrote all the places that gave me particular trouble, like similar... Um, consonant clusters and words beginning with a vowel or the letter R. Then rehearsed and repeated the process until I felt confident. I succeeded in reading it aloud to both uh, the perspectives and at an English Honours Award ceremony where it won second place in a competition. Oh, I just got goosebumps. I absolutely fucking love that. Um, Oh, on so many levels, not least because like the competitor in me, everybody knows I'm a competitive person. Um, but also because like what a journey and what a fucking achievement. I think that is fantastic. Um, it was my own King's Speech Triumph. Love that movie. I also love that movie. Um, so yeah, and um, so uh, Laura continues to say, the story I wrote and read aloud was about interracial circus lesbians in the 1970s, which might have won me a lot of points for she sheer uniqueness. Uh, but the writing wasn't half bad, if I say so myself. <laughs> I love this. I love even more this story because it's about circus uh, lesbians and interracial circus lesbians at that. Um, oh, this has made my day. I loved this story so much. Thank you 
so much and just like props to you as well for a being so fucking determined that you refused to give up um and you know you found a way to make it work i i love that rebellion if you would like to be a rebel of the week please do send in your stories please send them in i know i ask every week but i really love them and i really 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 enjoy reading them out and this segment on the show as well it can be any kind of rebellion big small or something in between you can email your rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or you can instagram me at sasha black author a big thank you to all my patrons this week. No new ones, but an enormous, enormous thank you to everybody um, who has supported me from the beginning, from the middle, from the end, recently. Not the end. <laughs> We're not ending. Don't worry. Um, yeah, I, I love you guys so much and I'm so deeply grateful. And thank you to everybody as well who is joining me for Silent September. Um, the first two days were fantastic. This morning, it's Friday the 3rd of September. I was a bit of a clusterfuck this morning. Did not really uh, get any words written. I think I've got about 250 words done. Um, but hey, I am not giving up. We've got the whole rest of September to go. So um, yeah, if if you would like to uh, join me for Silent September or the uh, Poison and Prose sessions for patrons or the bonus uh, bloopers and all that kind of crazy stuff that you get then you can from as little as two dollars a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash sasha black the episode this week is sponsored by pro writing aid pro writing aid is an editing software that is amazing i use it myself um i use it for both my non-fiction and my fiction uh although probably i would say more predominantly for my fiction um and i use it as like my last line of defense uh it is a grammar checker a style editor and like i said this before but it's a, it's like a writing mentor because it helps to teach you how to improve your prose and I use it before I send it off to my editor as well. So pro writing aid is about more than just finding grammar mistakes. It helps you to learn excellent uh, writing techniques as well because it has a range of different writing reports that make suggestions uh, like on your writing and then offer explanations for those suggestions as well. And if you want more, you can get more because they have videos and quizzes to help you understand the reasoning behind the, the suggestions. Writing can be grammatically perfect and still be awkward and clumsy. And that's kind of one of the things that I love about writing is that, you know, you can follow all the rules and this can still be awkward and clumsy. But Pro Writing Aid will help you to search out elements like repetitiveness, vague wording, sentence length variation, overdependence on adverbs, passive voice, overcomplicated sentence constructions, and so much more. And it will help you to eradicate, improve, edit, tweak, revise, all of that good stuff. Of course, ProWriting Aid will never replace a human editor, but rather it will help you to self-edit to a deeper level so that when you send it off to your editor, the editor can use their skills to focus on the meat of your writing and not spend their time fixing basic writing issues. If you would like to check out ProWriting Pro Aid, and I highly recommend that you do, I will leave links in the show notes. All right, that's it from me for today. Let's get on with the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by Eliana West. After being approached for advice on writing diverse characters from several members of her writing group, Eliana West created Writers for Diversity. 
Since its creation in 2017, Writers for Diversity has provided a safe space for thoughtful and respectful dialogue, providing tools and resources for writers who want to include diversity in their works. The group has grown to over 1,500 members from around the world and encompassing all genres. Eliana writes contemporary interracial romance. Her Heart of Colton series is published by Tool Publishing. And when not writing, Eliana can be found exploring the many wineries in Oregon and Washington with her husband in their vintage Volkswagen. Well, that was hard for me to say. Westerphalia <laughs> named Bianca. I love that you name your car. <laughs> Hello and welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Would you like to tell everyone a little bit about you? So like, what was your journey? How did you get to where you are today? Oh my goodness. Um, my journey was a long one. I, I had a business that I opened in 2007, right before the economic crash, which is a great time to open a small little neighborhood boutique. And um, I spent five years trying and struggling to keep it alive. And eventually just, I couldn't do it. And um, I was standing in an empty shell of what was once my beautiful store, panicking, going, what am I going to do next? And I had heard it, um, an, a, a story on the radio about NaNoWriMo, about national, and I thought, I need a new challenge. I need a reset. I need a restart. I'm going to do NaNoWriMo, <laughs> not knowing anything from anything. And, and I did it. I sat down and I wrote 50,000 words. I still have the spiral notebook that I did it in. And um, I thought, and I, and I really loved it. And, and, and so I just, I kept writing. And then um, I had joined a local writers group and here in Seattle. And I sort of became the person that everyone after the meeting would sort of, people would kind of come up to me and go, you know, can I ask you a question? And they'd sort of be cringing. I could see people like physically like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I, but I really want to ask this question. And they would ask a question about, um, skin tone, describing skin tone, or, you know, just, just a, a general questions about introducing um, more diverse characters into their work. And so on a whim, I thought, I'll make, I'll make a Facebook group that's a private group that if I, if for some reason, I'm not at the monthly meeting, or if someone has a question in between monthly meetings, they can just post it in the group, and I'll, and I'll do my best to answer. And I, I genuinely thought like 12 of my friends would join and that would be it. And like I said, we're, we, we, we've got 1500 members now and growing every day. And, and um, I have learned so much. <laughs> um, and what, what really came to light was the need for a really a safe space, a space where people can come and ask difficult questions. Because sometimes when we're learning a new skill and writing diversely is a skill um we are in artful in in how we um pose our thoughts or ask questions and um having a space where we can have these difficult and challenging at times conversations 
in a place where nobody is going to say to you, oh my God, I can't believe you asked that. I'm so offended. Mm -hmm. Instead Mm -hmm. of saying, hey, that's a great question. Let's talk about that. Let's, Let's dive in. So this is why I'm so delighted to be speaking to you, because I think this is such a vital and much needed conversation. And there is so much fear around diversity and around writing diverse characters. And I think like from the outset, we have to recognize that if we are not gay, then we cannot possibly know truly what being gay is like. You can do your best, but you don't know. If you are not transgender, you cannot possibly know what it is like to be transgender. If you are not a black woman or, you know, a, um, oh, oh God knows what, you know, if you have never suffered mental health disorders or, or mental right. health illnesses, you cannot possibly know what it is like to be in that body suffering with that thing or, or be in that character, you have that characteristic. So, but that doesn't mean you don't want to represent it well or do it justice or give a place for it in your fiction. Right. But right. right. So many people are afraid to ask questions because people go ahead. Yes. Sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. They're, they're terrified. Yeah. And because I think there's been a culture created around um, Brene Brown described it so beautifully. Um, there has been a culture that's created um, of hate and shame activism mm-hmm. that that doesn't work. It's not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, I would rather welcome someone who, who again, may not know, but are come from a, a, a genuine desire to learn and come mm. from a good place. I would rather welcome that person, take the time to educate that person rather than see another badly written stereotype. Mm-hmm. I am willing to take the time and my own personal time to do that. Mm. So I, I don't see another chocolate princess written, <laughs> you know, in a, in a book. Yeah, I we so we were talking about this off air for podcast listeners uh, just briefly, and I was saying that when I was pregnant, I became public property because I was in the eyes of other people a Mm -hmm. lesbian because nobody took the time to ask about my sexuality, Um, and so to other people I was a pregnant lesbian and therefore public property, and people could ask me like I shit you not, people would say things like oh so did you have sex with a man. I'm sorry, if your husband or wife was infertile, <laughs> would you have sex with somebody else? Right. I don't so, um, or like, yeah. Right? Or I, I, or how did you get pregnant anyway? Did you just use a turkey baster? Did you use a mm-hmm. fucking turkey baster? You know, or things like, um, so do you know the dad? Or things like, um, I remember uh, somebody I used to work with sent me an email because I had some fertility issues and they said, you shouldn't have bothered with um, all that, going to all that trouble. You could have just adopted here, look, and sent me a thing about, um, <gasps> yeah, yeah, like adoption. <gasps> like honest to God, like the number. However, right, I went through all of that, but I also tried my hardest whilst reigning in my fury and rage to educate people because right because I was like if I if people are asking this they're asking because they are genuinely curious and I have no problems with people being curious Mm -hmm. what I have a problem with is people being disrespectful in how they ask I will tell anybody anything about how I got pregnant 
but just ask politely and with respect, you know? Um, um, 100%, 100%. And that's really the expectation in the group is you're coming in with good intentions. You want to be there by being there, you're agreeing to engage in this process and what I what I call thoughtful and respectful dialogue. You're going to be thoughtful in how you ask. And sometimes people will ask questions in the group and say, you know, I'm really sorry. I I know I'm not phrasing this right, but I'm trying to understand. Mm-hmm. Great. Let's mm-hmm. let's help that person rather than what I saw so much of in in the writing community that I sort of belonged in was this, well, that person's a racist and, and then they're shunned forever and they have, and they must go to the, you know, room of shame and never to be heard from again, instead of, well, you know, maybe, maybe they didn't feel like they could ask. Obviously in that kind of environment where people are just being called out, how do you how do you feel safe enough to to even ask exactly and so well, and then what we get is less diversity yeah <laughs> yes exactly and more fear around doing it because people then become okay. terrified to make a mistake like this is a thing you know people those people who said those things to me made mistakes right they made a mistake right. in the way they asked me um and i told them that they made a mistake in how they asked me um but right. i didn't shame them for doing that right. i just said you know um i would make a, a quip back you know uh and say things like oh um is is your husband uh fertile or what position did you you know like i just make but yeah. i would say it in a very jokey way and then they would be like oh and then i'd be like so listen this is how that came across to me which is why yes. i said that and so like next time just like could you ask in a slightly different way exactly um, you know and then exactly. i give them the information anyway but we you talk yes no, go on, we talk sorry. a lot about intention versus impact and taking yeah. that moment. I always sort of take a moment because we have that knee-jerk reaction where we want to clap back mm-hmm. instead of taking that beat to go, okay, what is this person's intention? Are they just being a snarky asshole? And sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah, they are. Or are they genuinely just sort of not educated on this point? And is this a, a, a moment to step back and say, hey, that was, that was rude. Mm-hmm. Let me explain to you why that was rude. Instead of saying, again, instead of saying that was rude, that was disrespectful, go mm-hmm. away. Exactly, exactly. But taking that extra moment to say, and let me explain to you why that was an inappropriate comment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Exactly. Okay, so let's start with the basics. Why is it important yes. to have diversity in fiction? Because... This is, I, so I have two um, young adult children now and um, who are multiracial children with multiple identities and more and more um, younger readers, new readers um, want to see worlds that reflect the real world around them. They aren't buying the friend's coffee shop scenario anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just, they're just, it, it's not real to them. And I always tell this story. Um, my daughter was watching uh, the Gilmore Girls, this show in America called Gilmore Girls. And it's sort of this small town, single mom, daughter 
show. I don't really, I haven't watched it, so I don't really know what it's about, but that's kind of the impression I got. And I asked my daughter, I said, I didn't know what she was watching. I kept coming in and out of the room. She was hanging out at our house. And I said, what are you watching? She said, oh, the Gilmore Girls. And I said, what is the show about? And she said, oh, you know, small town white girls doing small town white girl things. But it doesn't really matter because it's not real anyway. And that was sort of an aha moment for me. It doesn't really matter because it's not real. These stories don't ring true with um, a growing audience because it's just not realistic. I don't care if you live in a small town in Maine or Vermont or, or you know, in the in the north of England. There, I, I guarantee you, there are gay people. I guarantee you, there are black people. I guarantee you, there are. Um, you know, uh, Asian people of Asian Pacific Islander descent. I, this idea that they're just these little pristine bubbles is just not realistic. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, again, more and more readers want to see characters and worlds that reflect the real world that we live in. Yeah, I can. I could not agree more with you. All right, so what are some of the common mistakes you see writers making when trying to um, do the right thing and trying to include diversity in their fiction? Sure, yeah. I think um, that's a great question. And one of the number one mistakes is that because writers are increasingly aware that, um, that readers do want more diverse fiction and publishers are looking for more diverse works, um, that they think it's a box that they have to check. Like, oh, I put in a black person in my book and I and I named him LeBron. Oh, great. It's happened. Um, I I did look. I did it. I I did diversity. <laughs> um, and that is one of the single biggest mistakes. Um, just like all of the tools in our writer's toolbox, this takes time and this takes work and this takes practice. And you have to also stop and recognize your own um, conscious or unconscious biases before you begin this work. And you really have to dig deep and think about, um, and so again, intention versus impact. What is my intention for wanting to put this character in my book? And what impact do I want this character to have on the story? If you can't answer the second question, then you have to go back and ask yourself again, what is my intention in putting this character in the story? Is it just because I'm trying to have a diverse character for the sake of diversity? Or is this a fully thought out fully fleshed character with a backstory and a first and last name and um and they are a whole character that that plays a role in the story that isn't just to advance the white protagonist storyline um I don't know if you are familiar if your um audience has heard of um in the um in the early 2000s, Spike Lee coined the term, the magical Negro trope. 
And it's this idea of characters like in the movie, um, The Legend of Bagger Vance, where Will Smith comes out of the mist and his character teaches Matt Damon's character how to play the best golf ever. And that's literally his whole purpose of the story. He doesn't have any backstory. He serves no other purpose other than to advance Matt Damon's storyline. Um, and, and, and I sort of refer to it now as sort of a, 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 the, the um, magical diverse character trope because it, that isn't just the case for black characters, but we see that across all marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that happens is sometimes they're given a magical ability, you know, um, uh, they can read people's minds or they can, and, and this feeds into a really quite dangerous stereotype. Mm. There's, um, it made me think of a couple of other tropes. So the first one is fridging, which, um, mm. happens, uh, came from the Green Lantern comic where, um, the, I can't remember his bloody major force, uh, killed and chopped up the Green Lantern's uh, partner, Alexandra, whatever her surname was, and put her in a fridge, literally for no other purpose than to, uh, you know, push the Green Lantern's, you know, character on and, and motivate him. And the other one is uh, kill your gaze, is literally a trope. If you go to TV mm -hmm. tropes, kill your gaze is a, is a trope because loads of gay characters get killed off, like constantly. That is just... Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Again, marginalized characters are often used as props rather than, again, these, these fully formed um, characters with, with, with backstory, backstory, backstory. <laughs> I'm just gonna like beat that drum. Um, even if it isn't on the page, do you know your character's backstory? And it's especially important for your um, for your character that is coming from from a diverse background. Mm -hmm. So I really um, that's something that I think writers really have to look out for. And it's so ingrained in us because we are bombarded with media for generations now these tropes have been just thrown at us constantly that sometimes we do it self subconsciously we just don't even realize we're doing it mm -hmm. so um you really have to be aware of that and constantly think about again why is this character here what's their purpose what are they doing um in this in this story and again if you go back and you look and your character is only there to advance your white protagonist storyline, then, you know, congratulations, you've written a magical diverse character and you need to go back and you need to think about it. <laughs> so I think one of the things that people worry about is that there is an awareness um, and a recognition of how important it is to give publishing space for own voices, um, mm -hmm. regardless of whether they're for people of color or biracial people, whether it's for LGBT people, people with mental health um, issues yes. uh, or, or gender or, or, or any background. Um, but how should writers who are not from any of those backgrounds like include char those characters who are from diverse uh, backgrounds. So we sort of talked about the mistakes, but how do they do it right? Um, so 
again, starting with research, do your research, really understand, start with, I'm gonna go back to it again, I'm sounding like a bit of a parrot this morning, but your intention, why do you want to include these characters? And then it's really about creating, um, doing your world building um, where, where, so, so I write small town romance. My, I have a small town set in the Mississippi Delta because um, that's where my family's from. Um, and it's just as simple as um, an exercise I often have um, people do in my workshop is when you are walking through your neighborhood or driving down the street or when you go to the grocery store, think of it through your character's eyes and who is shopping? Who's working at the counter? Who and just and then including those types of descriptions in your story, and that's also a great way to start. If you aren't comfortable writing a character yet, but you still, if if again going back to that friends coffee shop trope scenario, if you have a character living in New York and you're describing that character's neighborhood, you're going to have diversity in that description right? What kind of restaurants do you see? Are they walking past their favorite Indian restaurant? Are they, um, you know, is there a specialty market? How many, so when I drive down my street in my neighborhood, there's a Catholic church, there's a Lutheran church, there's a synagogue, there's a little mosque, there's a Buddhist temple. I have a very culturally, religiously diverse neighborhood. And if you were, if I was describing that scene as my character, I would be describing those places. Um, it's just a way to sort of get into that mindset of recognizing that diversity is everywhere. It's all around us. And so um, I find it hard to believe that you, we don't live on a street where maybe there isn't, um, you know, um, LGBT, an LGBTQ family, and there isn't, you know, a family of a different religion living, or again, a different ethnic or cultural background living on your block in this day and age. I mean, yes, there's still some sort of gated communities around, and we understand what those gates are for, but for the most part, most of us live with 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 examples all around us it's really about starting at just a base starting point um thinking about the world around you and recognizing the diversity in the world around you so i i want to go back to one of the things that we mentioned um earlier on which is around fear what yes. would you say to a writer who is let's say white middle class doesn't mm -hmm. really know what struggle is, you know, has always had warm ha houses, food, clothes, all of those things. Yes, what, yes. You know, um, what What would you say to somebody like that who is desperately desperate to write a diverse character, but is terrified of like maybe cancel culture or perhaps they're scared of making a mistake or being disrespectful or, mm -hmm. yeah, what would you say to encourage them um, you know, to because they have the right intention. Right. Um, so there are a tremendous amount of resources out there now. I would really start, I think a good place to start is doing some personal work. And, and that means, again, 
really confronting what your own biases might be. Um, so um, starting with a book like um, Reading How to Be an Anti-Racist, um, Ibrahim Kendi X, uh, I think is a great starting point to sort of think about um, just those own assumptions that we make um, and then really digging deep and doing research into the, the culture or the background of the character you want to write. And, and if that means possibly going to a mosque for the first time in your life or stepping outside your, uh, going to an LGBTQ bookstore and asking the bookseller, hey, what are some books that I should be reading? It, it means um, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. That is the first step. This is going to, you are going to have moments in this process where you feel very uncomfortable and that's okay. Mm. That is okay. Because guess what? Those of us that come from marginalized communities feel uncomfortable Daily. I don't want to say every day, daily. <laughs> I was trying to be nice, but guess what? We feel uncomfortable every day. Right, so if you exactly. really want to understand what it's like, um, if you really want to dig deep into writing those marginalized characters, um, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. think about what it's like for those of us that are uncomfortable every day. And sometimes being uncomfortable means asking questions that you're afraid to ask. Mm -hmm. right because that's going to put you in an uncomfortable situation and maybe getting answers that you didn't really want <laughs> and yeah working from there and then I I you know as far I I really want to speak to council culture just really quickly um someone for some reason isn't going to like what you write mm right? We're writers and we write books and there's going, and there's always that one review where someone says, I didn't like the font they use. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 A little, you know, whatever, what, you know, if you don't piss someone off, you are, you have not done your job as a writer. Right. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So you really have to, um, take a deep breath and just be sort of fearless um, in, a, in a very scary thing. And I recognize that it's scary. Um, but, and, and I also wanna speak just really briefly to own voices because I, I have always been a huge supporter of the idea that we need more stories um, from, from, from diverse communities. Um, the problem with own voices is that, um, and actually the organization We Need Diverse Books is has ceased use of that hashtag recently. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yes, we, in an increase, here's my take. In mm -hmm. an increasingly multicultural society, a puritanical approach to own voices is not sustainable. You, you, you cannot simply look at someone and say, you're, you're black, 
you cannot look, I cannot look at you and say what you are. I do not know what your experience is just by looking at you. And so much of what happens is, um, you know, we get people that are just looking at a picture on a bio and making a determination about who can or cannot or who should or shouldn't be writing that, telling that story. Um, you know, so many times people in the group say, I don't know if I should tell this story because it's not my lived experience. Well, maybe, maybe not. That's, it's not, I'm not, I'm not, an, I'm not going to tell you what you can and kind of write. That mm -hmm. is up to you. But what I will say is lived experience, again, like I'm, I'm, I'm half black, I'm half white. I, I practice the Jewish religion. I have dyslexia. I have a daughter who has Tourette's. I, what is my lived experience? What does that mean? <laughs> I think this is so, so deeply interesting because I have struggled with my identity for my right. whole life because my grandfather was Ethiopian. My dad is um, uh, half black, half, I don't even know, like a, a white American Israeli. I'm not even really sure. <laughs> you know, he was born right. in New York, grew up in a very black environment with black musicians and, um, you know, in a very uh, activist uh, campaigning type culture, um, at, but was deeply deeply privileged because he came from a very wealthy family and so his mm -hmm. experience is different right. to another um person who had a similar uh you know uh, uh heritage background um uh, you know but so for me i i am not white but i present white in winter Correct. and right. then in summer especially if i let my curls come out like everybody's like oh so um like where are you from like that it's that kind yeah, of you know yeah yeah and, and then, yeah and, and then also you know I married a woman but right. so people automatically assume that I am a lesbian you know or whatever that is um you know and and I don't necessarily identify with that I don't necessarily identify as straight I mm -hmm. don't necessarily identify as as you know any type of anything in any box so right know, right and and so while yes I can speak for um LGBT some LGBT experiences I don't represent all lesbians everywhere you know and 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 yeah, so like I completely agree with that. What is your lived experience? Well, my lived experience, you know, I I have not really suffered with um, racial abuse, but I have suffered with um, uh, homophobia. Um, right. And 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 yet, I probably get more questions about my race than I do about my sexuality, which is this crazy, you know. Yeah. So I just, yeah, I think I find this so, so deeply fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and that really brings um, a great point of identity. And, and, and one of the things um, is one of the, one of the things you really need to do when you're writing diverse characters is think about how does my character identify and why? Yes. I did a beta read for an author and she wrote a, a character great character loved her um and she described this character as biracial at the beginning of the book 
But then throughout the book, the character would say things like, well, I'm an African-American woman. And my note was, that's fine. That's, she can, but tell me why. Yes. Because you've told me she's biracial. So now backstory, backstory, backstory. Tell me why she chooses to identify as African-American. So how does your character identify and why? Tell us that, include that in your story. Because one, it's gonna give us a richer, more fleshed out character. Um, it's gonna add so much depth to your story, but it's also going to help you avoid writing stereotypes if you've done the work mm -hmm. to really understand your character and really dig deep into, again, how does your character identify and why? Mm -hmm. It's so important. I have another example. So I've obviously like, I just briefly told you like how I grew up. And uh, so my dad had uh, a son with another woman. So we share the same father and my, my dad is black. And, um, uh, but our moms are both white. Mm -hmm. um, but he grew up in America um, yeah. And his mother married a another black man and had children. So her other children are black. And he grew up and he has a different identity to me, despite the fact that our skin color is the same. Our father is the same. Our mothers mm -hmm. are both um, visually, they look similar to each They actually do look similar to, to each other because my dad has a type. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, so we and so we are visually very similar to each other. But mm -hmm. our identities and the reason why we identify that way are different because we grew up in different locations with different people surrounding us mm -hmm. um, in different environments. And, and so, oh, I just think that is so important to look at the why behind it. Why behind it and, and recognize again that one, the experience is not singular. Mm -hmm. And so again, this, um, and I think this is really a problem within the publishing industry with publishers that they still need to do some work around mm -hmm. is this idea that um, it's a singular experience that if we, if we especially in the editing process, recognizing that one person's blackness is not someone else's blackness. My yes. blackness is not your blackness. Uh -huh. my, my experience is not your experience. And and that really also brings um, brings me to um, sensitivity readers. I, I want to talk really quickly about um, this was an eye opener that um, that uh, this was something that Jamie, the author Jamie Ford, said to me one time. That was like a oh my gosh, wow, mine re really rechanged my thinking on sensitivity readers. Mm. And that is that recognizing that sensitivity readers also come from their experience great you can use a sensitivity reader i highly recommend it but recognize a couple of things one a sensitivity read isn't a check mark that you can go i see this mistake made so many times where authors and publishers will say but we did a sensitivity read so we got that check mark so no one should ever have a problem with this book well once again someone's not going to like your book for some reason but also recognizing that um, experience is not singular and so someone may read your book, even with a sensitivity read and go, but that's not how I grew up. Mm. That's not, that's not my experience. That's wrong. Well, it's not wrong. It's just different. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, 
recognize that if, if you're working with a publisher and your publisher has a sensitivity reader, and let's say your publisher's sensitivity reader for Chinese characters may feel very strongly that there's only one way to be Chinese. So you might get notes back saying, this is wrong. This isn't okay. This isn't, so you, you, you kind of have to take this with a, with a grain of salt, right? Because it, it, it and recognize, and if, if there is a note that you really feel strongly that you don't agree with, think, think understand that that might be coming from that person's perspective. Mm -hmm. Just like the doctor, get a second opinion. So I really recommend that yes, work with the sensitivity reader. That's a great thing to do, but diversify your beta reader group. Mm -hmm. Make sure that your beta readers come from so different socioeconomic status, different parts of the country or the world that you're writing in. Um, because someone who reads my book who is actually from the South is gonna have a different experience or relate to my book differently than someone who lives in Alaska, who's never ventured down to the lower 48, you know? So you want to get as broad of a sensitivity reader or a beta reader group as you possibly can. Okay, and so can you, um, <clears throat> so I have a, a, a question on sensitivity mm -hmm. readers from a patron. Yeah. So th thank you to Cassie for asking this. So she said, and you sort of started to cover this here, but she said on, on writing diverse characters, when do you find it necessary to find and work with a sensitivity reader? And like, how do you actually find sensitivity readers? So that is an excellent, excellent question. And um, sensitivity readers can be challenging to find. Unfortunately, we don't have just, it would, wouldn't it be so nice if we just had a national database for sensitivity readers or worldwide database. Um, there is an organization called writingdiversely.com that is um, writingdiversely.com. And they actually are a resource for beta readers. I think that is an excellent um, place to start. Many publishers now have um, beta readers um, that they contract with, that they work with, um, and or sensitivity readers. I'm getting my readers confused. I need more coffee. Um, but again, I, I, I strongly, I, I really encourage you to use it um beta readers as that added layer and really reach out to different um reach out to other authors who have who might have more diverse readers than you do and say hey do you have a beta reader that you might be willing to recommend to me and um i think it's really important please go into this work with with beta readers or sensitivity readers being respectful of that person's experience while you may not agree with some of the notes that you get back um you know once again this is a thoughtful and respectful dialogue and we want to be respectful of that person's experience really what we're talking about in the core of what we're getting down to is being respectful of other people's experiences, right? I mean, that's really just recognizing that someone else's experience might be different from yours and being respectful of that 
instead of arguing with with people about it. Um, so and and also, um, you know, um, pay structures are all over the all all over the map for sensitivity readers. Um, um, I think most um, the, the couple that I've worked with sort of structure, it's the same sort of payment structure as editorial work. Um, sometimes it can be more expensive um, because you have to understand that, and that people are putting, people are putting their, um, um, this is emotional work. It can, sometimes it can be triggering work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, um, and, you know, you want to compensate people appropriately. For, for, for that time and energy that they're putting into that work. Absolutely. What do you wish writers would do more of when it, came, when it comes to including diversity in their fiction? Um, I would just like to see more, um, again, more diverse world building. I would like to see um, people living in communities where they have, um, Again, that that look like my little northeast Seattle neighborhood, but even I mean, I live in a very predominantly white city, but even in my neighborhood, again, like just if I go up the street, I can I can you know get a really great curry, and I can um, and again I'll see you know my my rabbi having her weekly coffee with the Lutheran minister at the church next door to the synagogue. And, you know, I would just like to see worlds that look like mine, families and, and that we're messy, right? We're, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. Um, I like, I like the mess. That's just me maybe, but I, I'd like to see just a little bit more um, mess. Real, real. <laughs> I'd like to see a little bit more mess. It makes it more real for me personally. That that is what I would, and I would like to see again people not to be afraid. So I, people who know me, I, I say this quote probably twenty times a day, if not more. Um, I had the opportunity to see um, Stacey Abrams, who's a voting rights advocate here in the United States, speak, and she said this wonderful thing that I've like I've printed it on cards, I've made stickers, <laughs> like it's 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 actually on behind me in my on my bookshelf. Um, Perfection is impossible, but space to grow is always possible. I would like to see people leave space to grow. Mm. I would like to see people in this dialogue recognize and understand, I'm kind of circling back to where I started, but that um, we are learning and we don't come out of the gate perfect in this work. I and it's also, it's also an ongoing process. It, you, you never get to the point where you're done. I learned something new from the group every day. I, I, I'm constantly learning. Um, so if you aren't leaving space to grow, then, then you're just, your roots are dying, right? You're root bound in this little pot and you're not going anywhere. You're not, 
you're not growing so absolutely uh, one of my favorite quotes ever uh is i think perfection is ugly somewhere in the things human make humans make i want to see scars failures disorder distortion which i just think is yeah. so i love that so much um yeah. and absolutely to the learning i learned something in this podcast already like i didn't know that the own voices hashtag was was you know being eradicated so there you go like even even <laughs> you know and hey i come from a diverse background and even i don't know everything you know like we do we're, not we're, know everything we are constantly learning we don't know everything and i personally love learning something new every day and I'm I'm constantly trying to um educate myself um just stretch as writers right we're stretching ourselves well guess mm -hmm. what if you want to write diversity you're gonna really stretch yourself but that's a good thing and yes. um don't don't be afraid don't be afraid it's it's gonna be okay it is <laughs> And on that note, can you recommend some resources, maybe some books um, or, you know, just places for, for listeners to go uh, to help them yeah. on that journey uh, of learning um, how to better represent diversity in their fiction? Well, obviously, I'm going to start with Writers for Diversity. <laughs> I have to start there. Um, we have some great tools and resources. We have a, a, a wonderful character worksheet. Um, that um, comes from a little bit more of a diverse perspective um, that is gonna help you again, figure out how your character identifies and why. Um, we have some really great tools and resources within the group, but we also, um, again, offer this platform where it's a safe space. Um, I take, um, my mission that I promised at the very beginning that I was going to make it a safe space really seriously. And um, we just, I don't, I don't allow flare ups or shaming or any kind of, I mean, we're, we're all there to help each other. Uh -huh. um, Salt and Straw Books has um, a, a, a fun little book. It's, um, hold on, I've got it right here. Um, uh, called How to Write Black Characters. It's just a short little, but there's actually some really helpful information in there. Um, again, um, writingdiversely.com um, is um, a resource that I would recommend. Um, um, and the other one is, I should have had one more sip of coffee so I can remember what it is. Um, Writing with Color on Tumblr, it's a blog, has some wonderful resources um, for describing hair and skin tone. Um, we have some resources for that as well within, within Writers for Diversity that, um, that writers can use. You also mentioned a book earlier, How to Be Anti-Racist. Yes, um, and um, it is, um, um, Ibrahim X. Kendi, I think I said it backwards before, I apologize. And then um, the other book that I would recommend is called The Anti-Racist, and it's How to Start the Conversation About Race and Take Action. Um, again, we would all like to think that we aren't racist. And 
but we all have bias. We all do. We all come to this place. Again, we need to recognize that we have just been bombarded with these images and, and, and media has played such a huge part in creating these stereotypes and tropes that have just become ingrained in our subconscious. And so starting the work with yourself and starting to recognize your own biases that you might have is, this is um, humble work. Mm. This is not work that you can come to with arrogance and swagger. Mm. Um, this is this is humble work and you have to be willing to recognize your own um, your own failings. And that's again, and that's okay. This is part of this is part of the process. Absolutely. I'm also going to give a shout out uh, and just say, uh, don't forget, there are a lot of different charities out there that have a ton of resources. So like in the UK, we have Stonewall, uh, which is a huge LGBT Mm -hmm. charity, but there's like Mind and um, there are, yeah, there there is like a charity out there for all kinds of different um, The Trevor Project is wonderful Mm -hmm. in the United States. um, Glad actually has a wonderful media resource guide that has terms and definitions. It's a great resource. Um, the Southern Poverty Law Center is um, an organization in the United States that has um, so many great, uh, yeah, so absolutely, I 100% agree. There are some incredible nonprofits and um and to that end, I would also give another shout out to We Need Diverse Books. Mm. Um, they are a wonderful organization. They're centered more on children's literature, but they have some amazing resources, I think, for, for, for all writers that we can all use. And um, Lee and Low Books does a baseline diversity survey. If anybody's looking for statistics, they've really sort of set the gold standard for um, for statistical analysis on diversity within the publishing industry. Fantastic. Thank you so much for all of those. Yeah. All right. This is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Okay. I'm about to tell you my most embarrassing story ever. I asked (laughs) a couple of friends if I should tell this story and they were like, oh yeah, this is the story you have to tell. (laughs) Um, so my, my, my last name is West. I come from the, a tiny town in Mississippi. My family is from West Mississippi and I'm very interested in genealogy and I do a lot of genealogy work. So, um, Let me just say that this was, so cocktails had been involved. Um, I, we had, my husband and I had been pre-functioning at a restaurant in Beverly Hills. We were having a lovely dinner, but you know, we had started with cocktails and made segue through to wine. And all of a sudden this group of gentlemen came and sat down at the table next to us. And I lost my shit because um, I figured out that one, and this was 
back in the in the 90s, late 90s, maybe early 2000s, that um, one of the gentlemen um, was Kanye West. And listen, again, I I had been drinking. <laughs> and as I did wait until he was done with his dinner, but as he got up to leave, I jumped up and very excitedly decided that I wanted to tell him the entire history of the West family. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying I may have said that we were cousins and invited him to Passover. I mean, it. listen, I blame it on the alcohol. It, I just my husband and my wait and the waiter were literally on the floor rolling. They were laughing so hard. And this is why no matter what, we, so in our house, we call him crazy cousin Kanye. This is why no matter what cousin Kanye does, I, I have to kind of give him a pass because that dear man stood there and smiled and nodded <laughs> going, this crazy lady is like, what the fuck? Um, and he was very kind and very gracious. And um, I do feel I owe him a letter of apology. It's been some years now, but I should probably. Um, I don't think I would get past security. Um, but um, oh, yeah. God, this is amazing. This is absolutely spectacular. It was not my finest moment. And um <laughs> You know, I live in Seattle. We don't have a lot of Black people here. I get very excited when I leave Seattle and I'm surrounded by more Black. I Listen, I can make excuses all day. Basically, I made a total, complete jackass of myself. Oh, oh, and all these In a very later. nice restaurant. <laughs> in Beverly Hills that we have, that we go to every time we go to LA. And I, I do, I will say that they no longer seat us in the main area now. And um, when we go back, they put us in a corner. I, I'm not sure if that had anything to do with what happened, but um, yeah. So Kanye, if you're listening, I, I am so sorry. Um, I have been doing some more research on the family. I can, if you want to swap 23andMe profiles, we can have that conversation, but. Oh, that was spectacular. And what an amazing yeah. story. I am so glad you picked that story. <laughs> All right, can you uh, tell everyone where they can find out more about you and the Facebook group, anything else like that you would like to add? Yes, so I, you can find me through my website, uh, ilianawest.com. Um, I just had the second book in my Colton series, The Way Home, just came out. Um, if you want to read about small town life with um, lots of interracial relationships and diverse diversity in a tiny town in the Mississippi Delta, check out my Heart of Colton series. Um, it's a little different. It's a little it's, it's fun. Um, and you can find Writers for Diversity. We are a Facebook group. There is a Facebook page. It's just kind of a static page. Um, but you'll want to request to join the group. Um, it is a private group. Again, um, what stay, happens in the group stays in the group. And um, 
uh, the only thing I would just say is please answer all the questions when you join the group because I won't let you in unless you answer all the questions. That's just the rule. Yeah. Um, no, I'm the so, same with my uh, rebel group. Everybody has to answer the yeah. questions. That is literally why they're there. If you didn't have to answer them, we it, wouldn't have put them there. <laughs> exactly. I just need to make sure you're a real human being. Uh, the bots are in full force and um, yeah, but we'd love to, we, um, the more the merrier, I may never sleep again. Cause I, I, I'm moderate the group pretty much me <laughs> and, um, it's a lot of work, but, but I love the work and I really feel like, um, what we're doing is good work and we need more diversity. We want those more diverse stories. Um, someone out, I was, you know, Someone out there is waiting to read your story. Someone out there is going, yes, that that's me. I identify with that character. So keep going. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Um, Brilliant. Perfection is impossible, but space to grow is always possible. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners. Uh, and of course, an even bigger thank you to all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as joining me for Poison and Prose sessions and other random uh, goodies, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Eliana West and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I am going to be joined by Dr. Michelle Mazur and we are going to be talking about Three Word Rebellion, which is a kind of tagline for your business. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.